0: Afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is in the world, wherever you're tuning in from. These are some special episodes as we build up to Christmas, but also, of course, the new season. Uh, it feels as though the last one has barely finished, um, but we are here to reflect on 2023 and some of the matches of the year. And I think on the WTA side, it would be extremely negligent to ignore the Australian Open women's final singles, Rene, right? Absolutely. Um, Certainly for me, uh, uh,
1: not necessarily match of the year. I don't know. It's probably up there with match of the year, but um, we tend to sort of forget about the start of the year when we start talking about matches of the year because we think about all the matches at the US Open or maybe the WTF finals, maybe not the WTF finals, because there were no real great matches there. Um, But uh, not thanks to, uh, you know, a lot of wind, let's just be honest. Um, But uh, I think that, you know, when when you start reflecting on the year, you forget about the ones that were at the start of the year a little bit. And for me, I just, you know, when you asked me to talk about this, I was like, we can't forget about the Australian Open final. So for me, it was just One of the most intensely played matches from literally first game to last game was it was really very 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 impressive
0: Renee, i think i would personally put it at the top i mean it is all subjective of um, you know all our feelings and stuff but i i was thinking about this um quite a bit throughout the year but even more so in the last few days that I thought Sfiontek against Sabalenka in Madrid was incredible too I was lucky to be there I think we had some really good matches at Wimbledon you know probably up until the final um the US Open maybe less so there were some unusual matches like the the semi-final I think between keys and and Sabalenka but that was kind of just quirky but for me as you said from start to finish the ball striking the unerring accuracy of this match and the magnitude and the story as well yeah. just probably elevates it for me
1: yeah I think undoubtedly you know we know that Rubakin had won Wimbledon the year before so you know her going for a second Grand Slam we were kind of not surprised to see in that in that um you know final um the way she had been playing from literally from winning Wimbledon right up to the Australian Open final and she certainly you could say she struggled after that um i know she did well in um uh, i believe it was uh, indian wells or miami that she won but she really she really struggled with a lot of injuries so it it is a shame because she's such a great player but that match was her at her very best in my opinion um coming off as i said winning wimbledon and you know being this new face inside the top 10 that was so good and on every every level forehand backhand certainly a backhand and serve um and so uh, you know, when when you're sitting there doing commentary, for example, or doing, for me, courtside commentary, I'm always so interested in who I get to commentate, right? And so you kind of sort of, I mean, this is better, maybe inside baseball kind of comments, but you do root for certain people to get better matches. You know what I mean? Like I sort of, of, I'm always rooting for maybe the, the sort of defender slash counter puncher against a big, hitter like uh, you know back in the day you would have a, a Sabalenka Wozniacki or you know even even you know back, back way back in my day like Monica Sellers against Arantxa Sanchez or Steffi against Arantxa Sanchez so you want that sort of matchup, you know I love to see that type of um up versus a big hitter Wozniacki so I was a little bit bummed and I I can't remember who was in the semis there so I would have to rack my my mind I that I
0: was one of the semis oh, yeah the semi was uh, Rybakkena against Azarenka, maybe?
1: Okay, yeah. So I was kind of sort of hoping Azarenka-Sabalenka or that type of a matchup, just because, you know, Azarenka doesn't make a lot of errors. And so you want that sort of matchup because you wanna, you want to have sort of long rallies, if anything. Mm-hmm. So when these two were drawn up against each other, I uh, to be honest with you, I thought this is going to be a terrible final. We're not going to have any rallies. This is just going to be bang bang tennis. It's just going to be boring in a lot of ways. And it was the absolute opposite of what I expected, which was such a delight for me. You know, sitting there courtside and the palpable pressure on both players, and certainly on Sabalenka being in her first final. You know, you know, going up for her first. P- you know, possibility of a grand slam, so you know, and I think the underlying people, you know, in the in the industry anyway, were sort of pulling for her to get a, a grand slam because she's very deserved of it. Um, but and the story of her father passing away not that long ago, and so there was a lot of things, you know. Really? Hence the reason when she won the match, she you know walked to her players' box, but first kissed up to the sky. That was for her dad, you know. So so we all sort of knew the story. Um, but the tennis in it you know, itself was just outstanding. You could not leave a ball short in the court or it was just toast. Um, And, you know, that's, usually you get a spat of, I was thinking we would get a spat of unforced errors and this would kind of be a little bit of a one and done, you know, serve plus one and big returns, but they they were both hitting the absolute, you know, daylights out of the ball and hitting it in a lot in this match. So so it was just incredibly um, accurate, big hitting. And that is just something that you don't see all the time. And from not like I said, it was from the first game until the very last game that the standard of tennis was just unbelievable. Even the match point, if you go back to the match point, just an unbelievable serve. You know, when we're sitting there all watching it and I was sitting next to Casey DeLacqua and um, you know, all the other so- sideline reporters, you know, we're all sitting in a row, Barbara Shett, um, uh, as I said, Casey DeLacqua um, and uh, Laura Robson. So there was four of us sitting there and we we're all pulling at that point for Sabalenka to win because we did want her to win and she'd had a couple match points and we're like, oh my God, is she gonna choke this away? So we were real, all of us were sort of sitting there saying, I'm so nervous for her, you know, because we did, really did want her to win in the end. Um, not, nothing against Rebecca, you know, she just, she'd already won a slam and you sort of, as a competitor, you want to see someone have that joy, right? Um, and so we're all sitting there like, is she going to win this? Is she going to serve it out now? And, you know, she hit that unbelievable serve down the tee and you thought, oh, that's it, right? No, it came back I and mean, it was such an amazing return and it was about a foot, within a foot of the baseline. This is match point um and you know and and Sabalenka's ability to maybe get that ball back in and of itself was unreal and produces a beautiful I think it was a backhand so you know uh, and then uh, you know eventually the, the error was made from Rabakina. but like the standard of the hitting was just probably the best match I've seen um and may even say ever which is a big statement
0: it is big statement but there as you say big hitting from both players um i went in i went into the tournament predicting um a a title for sabalenka i thought she And you know what let's have arena sabalenka as this year's australian open champion sabalenka. i thought she you know nip and tuck between her and a couple of other players but from the us open all the way through to january i think she picked up a title in adelaide just before the tournament And uh, throughout that period, I thought she was arguably the best player on the tour. Uh, But all that confidence for me drained um, on the day of the final. And I started to have the doubts. And I started Uh to think about Sabalenko and some of the doubts that she might be having and so on and so forth. And in fact, I sort of, I mean, I I didn't back down on my prediction, but I I did have my doubts. Do you know where I'm coming from with that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, listen, some, you know, the hardest thing to do is something you've never done before, right? And so Sabalenka had never won a Grand Slam. This was a you know a player that she was going up against who who can arguably hit her off the court, which is very rare. Um, and and the fact that um, Rabakina had won Wimbledon, so I wouldn't say convincingly. It was in three sets over Anschuber, and it wasn't you know pretty. But you know you could arguably say that she, her her personality and her calmness. Is probably going to win this match because she's won a grand slam before and as i said she can match the serving power and the the returning power of sabalenka so you would have been okay with the doubts going into the match just knowing obviously what ribakina Ryb- was capable of <clears throat> and not afraid of the big stage let's face it so yes you could arguably say that <clears throat> all the things that could go wrong with sabalenka probably would um, and I'm sure you probably started to feel a little bit more, even more nervous in the first game when she double folded two of her first, I think three serves. So, yeah. um, but you know, the great thing about her in that moment, and I'll never forget this was sitting there, as I said, I was courtside was she started laughing when she hit, I believe the second double fault. And I think she hit a fault on the first serve and sort of smiled at her group like, Oh shit, this is not the way we want to start this match. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you're sort of sitting there going, Oh my God, if the yips come back here, this is not going to be pretty um, and you know what? She dug herself out of that. I think the first game in so many ways was indicative really of Sabalenka um, and why she won the tournament in the end and that match because she started as badly as she possibly could have um, with the double fold and then she went ace and I think double folded again and you're was like, what, what Sabalenka, what box of chocolates are we going to get on this serve today? And so I think her hitting out of that first game serving well going after her ground strokes, and winning that first game was absolutely pivotal for the rest of the match for her. Because I think she could say, if I can get through that game, where she's without question at her most nervous as anybody is in the first game serving. And obviously with the debacle of the couple of double faults that she threw in there at the beginning, you thought if she was going to mentally break down and, and the serve would go off and she wouldn't handle the pressure, that game indicated, I think, to her that she could fight through those nerves, fight through the technical difficulties, win the game and then get going again and i think that was one of the most impressive things that i've seen because we all know looks having six matches under your belt certainly helps but um you know we've seen a lot of people get to the final and absolutely freeze and not Mm. play well and so for me the way she dug herself out of that first game was really indicative of the entire match
0: yeah um but actually that's something that she had to do throughout the match in so many respects whether it be um, that first game, whether it would be the setback of lo- losing the first set and then being, I think, a couple of break points down or facing a couple of break points at the beginning of the second. And then, of course, as you mentioned as well, trying to serve it out, as she did so on her fourth match point. Ironically, the same scenario happened to her in Madrid about five months later. And I asked her in the press conference, I said, does that ring any bells to you for match points? And she's like yes I was thinking about that and I was thinking so this is what she's now saying in Madrid five months after she's got over that hump of when it's and I I, I sort of you know dragged it out of I was like you know did, did Australia help you in that moment and she's like absolutely yeah because you know once you've gone through that it's like if I can do it in Australia I can certainly do it in Madrid and and she did but but yeah coming back to this match of course the doubts that I had were because she's one of these players on tour that we'd seen get close albeit more in semi-finals than finals. Of of slams, mm-hmm. but a sort of a on uh, an Anger Burr, and you're just wondering that, that if she's going to win it, it might have to be in a sort of more comfortable way, that she just, you know, is much better than her opponent, and that that helps get her through. But she had to do it the hard way.
1: Yeah, and I think um, maybe in some respects, it was easier for her to have it be the hard way, knowing okay. that, you know, when she stepped up to the line, and sometimes you sort of play to the, you play, not all the time, but you play sometimes to the to the standard of your opponent. Um, if your opponent starts out playing horribly, sometimes it just transfers over to you and you just start really badly as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even though Rubakina had won Wimbledon and she had all that experience, it, it's still only her second Grand final as well. And it's a d- different atmosphere in Australia. It's, a, um, <clears throat> you know, the crowd, i tell you the one thing was really obvious too, the crowd were loving it because there was, you didn't know who they wanted to win in the end um, because it was just, such good tennis from both players. And I think, you know, the Australian public, the tennis public um, in particular, are very, very knowledgeable in their sports and obviously very knowledgeable with tennis. And so it was like, just such this beautiful balance. And I hadn't heard that in a while because really the public didn't really know these two very well. You know, in the last, one of the last times that I remember sitting next in courtside and watching Sabalenka when she lost in a tough match to uh, Ash Barty and the crowd were brutal on her. They were brutal on the, you know, the. The uh, the grunting and you know making fun of her and this was years before this was when she was about 19 years of age, mm-hmm. and she didn't handle that moment very well. But boy, I tell you what, like three or four years later, when she comes back and wins the tournament, I think <clears throat> I think because when she started out playing the match and as I said, double folded, hit a couple of aces, got out of the game, sort of smiled and was like, oh, thank God. And then Rubakina went down the other end of the court and went, I think first serve, bang down the tee ace, and I was like oh my God, this is like a dude's match we're serving. They are just mm-hmm. going to pummel each other's serves. They're gonna go after the returns. And and they, I think they both straight away after the first two games, if you go back to those two, two games, it was, I remember sitting there and I remember sitting back and looking at my fellow co-commentators and just being like, holy shit, we are in for a match tonight because you could just tell that they both came to play. They both were gonna serve well. They were both going to hit the ball really well. They were uh, the, the early, early nerves were kind of gone. Um, and we just knew it was going to be one of those matches of serving and attacking. And if you dropped your level that much, you were going to lose that night. And they, their levels never dropped. The whole match it was unbelievable. It was, it was one of, as I said, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. It was one of the most highly, um, you know, best played matches that I had seen in a long time from two really big hitters.
0: I remember a, a picture from uh, Bastian on Twitter about two days before the final, or when the semi-finals were done, and therefore the final was set. And it was a picture of a, of a tennis ball, and it was like, you know, this is how the ball's going to look on on Saturday because. It was just obviously a tennis ball in in, in, in a bad condition, let's say. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah. That, but of course, as you said, René, I hadn't really thought about this. Of course, it can go one of two ways. You can have one person, particularly, uh, you know, perhaps Samalenka crumbles under the pressure. But you can also have a, a sort of a matchup that doesn't quite produce the fireworks that we we hope or, or or whatever. Because as you say, often contrasts help a tennis match so much. But in the end, it did deliver and it delivered for all the reasons that we, we'd said. Before the final as well, though, uh, to be fair, back Sabalenka had had a, I, I don't want to give any disrespect to any of her opponents, but certainly in terms of ranking, it had a softer run. I think she had a team <laughs> match against maybe Benchich en route, but that was kind of the only one that stood out as a tricky one. I mean, Magdalene, uh, uh, you know, is a, again, is a lower-ranked player that to play in a Grand Slam semi-final, not so bad. Rebecca on the other side had had to come through, you know, former finalist Daniel Connellins. Uh, in a really good match early on, I think about about the third round, then of course, she had to come through Sviontek as well and and a former winner in Azarenka that I also thought that be, that was another reason I am sort of changing my mind because I thought she's battle hardened and yeah. and I thought that might might come into play as well
1: yeah you could you could uh, you know say that, but every time I say that it doesn't work out i mean I think about two people in general that you know that happened to um you could, there's a list of players that you could say that about but <clears throat> i think about like sam stosur when she lost to skiavone in the finals of the french back in 2009 uh 2010 i mean she beat everybody in that time she beat half she beat you know hanan who was you know three time champion at the french she beat serena she beat um yankovic like she beat everybody in that tournament and then lost to somebody that she i don't think had, Ever lost to, or never lost to again in the finals against Scavone, mm-hmm. because that's just the way it happens, you know. And I think about Layla Fernandez at the U.S. Open, who beat everybody to get to the finals there, and then lost to Emma Raducanu, who arguably you could say hadn't really beaten, beaten, you know, the players and caliber of players that um, <clears throat> that Layla had beaten, but she had gone through Quali, so that kind of counts. But um, but you know, I think sometimes you do get to the final, you are battle tested, but the other person might be a bit fresher and might feel really comfortable and really good because they have smashed everybody that they've played going into the final. So I don't think it matters in some ways, in some ways, like I can just remember like, you know, if I've beaten a lot of really good teams to get to a final of a Grand Slam, I'm not thinking about who I've beaten. I'm I'm not thinking about how well I've played to get there. I'm just thinking, all I care about is wanting to win the final. And so it doesn't really matter who you beat getting into going going into a final. It's just how you feel in that final. Um, and it's how you feel about your tennis and i would say that sabalenka probably having won adelaide as well yeah yeah, so i mean when you've won adelaide and now you're in the finals in australian open you feel really good about your tennis and for someone who hits the ball big and you know needs her serve working which it clearly was everything else is just going to fit into place and her forehand was great as well which is usually her shot that goes off i think she had improved her technique on her forehand and so the little things that could go off under pressure were not going off under pressure there was no there was never a crack in the armor like even when we were thinking she's going to double fold here and she didn't and it was just like oh she's got it today you know um and Rubakin the same thing she's got it today so that's why we knew early on i remember sitting back really honestly like i think even two one in the one all in the first set just going oh this is going to be really good and i i i can be honest in saying i never thought i could say that about those two playing each the- other
0: the atmosphere in the stadium I mean obviously you know didn't have an Aussie like the year before with with Ash Barty and uh, you know maybe a legend of the game such as a Serena or, or or a Venus in in the final to pull for did did you did you get a sense that that because Sabalenka hadn't won a, a slam at that point that she did have a bit more support or or because maybe the match was going one way or the other that, that the crowd will often pull for the sort of person who's behind
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the matches where I really think that they weren't pulling for either player. They were really just, the crowd was so evenly balanced and comparative, obviously, to the year before with Ash and Daniel Collins, where it was like Daniel Collins would play a great point, hit a winner. It was like crickets. (laughs) And Ash would would win a point. It'd be like, I've never heard the stadium ever so loud in my life. So I think it was nice to hear that real balance. It was really, truly a balance. Like the crowd were you know, excited about, you know, pulling for whoever lost the first set, clearly. They wanted three sets. And then in the third set, they were just pulling for great tennis. Even to the very, I think maybe at the very end, they were pulling for Sabalenka, because I think they felt like, okay, we kind of, I I don't know, I think they felt that Sabalenka was, I think they got a little bit more behind Sabalenka towards the end, there's no question. Um, And so, but honestly, it was one of the most well-matched matches I've ever seen with the matchup and with the crowd.
0: To sort of just paint a picture uh, for those tuning in, to sort of, maybe they don't remember the match or they just sort of forgot parts of it, and even I had to sort of refresh my memories. We did have those two first service games that you you highlighted from both players, where Sabi was Sabalenka was a bit nervy, maybe with a with a double fault in the opener, but then she settled and, and held serve, and then a holds. But actually, it's Rebeca who draws first blood with um by breaking Sabalenka and Sabalenka was up 40 love on her serve which makes it probably even more painful but that's the yeah. other thing that actually happened is actually there were breaks of serve in this match you know we sometimes talk about I remember a, a couple of matches at the WTA finals in Texas in 2022 the the one that was indoors and didn't mm-hmm. have quite as much win, and there were some really high quality matches there but it was actually high quality with service holds here we had an incredible level of serving with the odd double fault from Marina but still we were getting breaks of serve and in that first set we had three and the decisive one went the way of uh, of of, of Rebecca as i mentioned sabalenka then has to hold serve in a sticky scenario at the beginning of the second set so 15 40 and you you just think she gets one of those points wrong but she kept her nerve in that yeah. in that game at the beginning of the second set of 15 40 <clears throat> and that's the thing that maybe does it help at all if you've got this kind of um mindset that i'm i'm gonna play aggressively and i'm gonna try and take the opportunity at every point does that help the nerves a bit in these moments that you don't need to doubt yourself does that make sense
1: No, oh, i mean i mean you can look at it like <clears throat> obviously somebody who is a risk taker coming into the net or um someone who goes after the ball i mean look the, these two aren't they're not a xiontech or a coco Goff style mover right so you've got to take advantage of the short ball as soon as you can and the, and as i yeah. said earlier at the start i think the thing that was key is that if anything was short it was it was gone like <laughs> there, the accuracy of their hitting and i'm i'm talking short as in close to the service line it was gone so if you didn't get it close to the baseline you're uh you, you were losing the point and there was no errors <clears throat> you know and sometimes when you play against big hitters like that they do make a lot of errors they'll make one here they'll make one there and But not in this final. They were just both so accurate with their shot making and hitting. They were hitting like this close to the line every single time. So if you didn't hit it really well, you were losing the point. And there was a very rare time where it was an average point or an average shot that was not punished. And so for me, yes, if you didn't serve well as well, including second serve, that wasn't accurate. It was getting punished. So... (laughs) So, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, my God, that serve was so bad. It should have been killed. But they weren't bad serves either. And that, but they were still getting crushed because they were the shortest shot that they were going to see in the rally. So that's the thing that impressed me the most, just the depth of their shots and the accuracy of the depth of their shots, uh, you know, and the width, obviously, close to the sideline. So it was just everything was just at the highest, highest of levels. It was, as I said, one of the most impressive matches I've ever watched.
0: I think uh, at least the stats I have up here: fifty-one winners of the racket, Sabalenka to twenty-eight unforced errors. And as you said, having to take so many risks because otherwise you would get punished for actually twenty-eight unforced errors across three sets and and, and around three and a half hours or three hours, I should say, um, is is mightily impressive. Actually, especially the way she plays. Uh, so she goes on to win the second set. She gets up. She actually responds to saving those break points, Sabalenka, and and actually gets a break of her own. Uh, and in fact, it was kind of the that was hanging on to try and just keep it a one break of serve in that second set. The third set um, was a much tighter affair until Sabalenka gets a, a very important break, I think, at around about midway through that set. So she still has to hang on a little bit. Now my yeah. question to you is you know you've you've had a lot of success in doubles you, you you know what it's like to play in these big environments and big arenas and, and have pressure moments are the butterflies in your stomach as much as they are in mine when i'm just on my couch watching on tv i mean what's it what's it like i mean in doubles of course you've got to be responsibility in terms of your partner I, I i don't really know how that dynamic plays out but also of course you know you have similar experience too just talk to us about those tense moments and uh and yeah
1: well i mean obviously as you said and pointed out she got that you know mid-set break um and so you're like okay <laughs> in some respects <clears throat> getting a break early in a set is a burden in some respects because yes. you have to keep holding so but yeah. the mental way of looking at that and the right way of looking at it and my you know people become champions is that they get the break but they treat it like a game that's just a game and then mm-hmm. you get on to concentrating on your next service game yourself and winning the game and um you know and that sort of similar thing happened to you know lisa raymond and i we got an early ish break in the finals of the australian open and it was and it's basically you feel like you're you know as the pundits will say hanging on to that break or you know consolidating that break but the bottom line is you want to win the tournament and so to win the tournament you've got to be up and you've got to be ahead so you have that early break. And so the most important thing is to stay present, then that's it. And that's whether it's three all or four two, you have to stay in the moment, right, you have to stay in the moment of holding your own serves. And so, you know, when you get an early break, you just concentrate on like, take care of your own business, take care of your own service game. And that's what Sabalenka did. And she had to fight, you know, in concluding the last game. I mean, that game was one of the most tense and, and crazy, emotional, um, games. And, and again, the quality of tennis was so good. And Rabakina was not going anywhere, even though the Sabalenka was you know in control of the match based on the fact that she had the break and was serving well. Rabakina was not giving up. And Rabakina was saying, if you don't serve well, I'm going to crush every return and I'm going to break you back. Um, so I think in some respects, because of the tennis quality and because Sabalenka knew that she couldn't drop her guard at all in any way down 5%, she dropped her play 5%. She was done. And you know that so when you're in what I said earlier, when you play to your opponent's um, skill level that day, if they're playing really well, you often play really well back because you know you have no respite. You cannot drop focus for one second because you know you will lose. So I think in some respects, it actually probably helped Sabalenka that the quality of tennis from Rab- Rabakina was so good that she had to stay fully focused in the moment. So I think the bottom line is when you're, you're when you're out there, you're not... You think about it but the overall thing to never do is to think ahead you have to stay in the in the present and i think that Sabalenka did that really really well um considering she got that break earlyish in the in the set but she was just fantastic holding on to her own serve and the last game was indicative really of of the match
0: yeah it was i was thinking that as you were reminded me of that last game that it, it did kind of encapsulate the match and, and 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 the reason why you know it's so highly thought of um you know that she had four championship points but that barely tells the story she double faulted on the first one as uh, she hit a f- this is, uh, arena she puts a forehand wide on the second um then i think rebecca gets a break point um only for sabalenka to of course save it on a first serve um and then finally on the fourth one as i said that she did Get it after uh, Rebecca and it goes long, and I think she falls to the ground as we see so often. But this felt like a uh, an even more significant moment just because of of, of what we'd seen with Arena, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna now we sort of take a broader look at it in a way of what we'd seen. If you remember, I think it was well, I'm sure you remember the previous year, all the way up until. Uh, her match with Kai Kanepi, it was for me, although I think Arena would say that she was actually coming through those uh, service yips by then. But I remember that third round against Kai Kanepi where she was on the ropes and I think she had to save a couple of match points in that third round. And you can imagine if she goes out in the third round at the US Open, you know, it would be like she's on a sort of a downward trend, especially compared looking at the year as a whole. We mentioned all the double faults from, from Australia all the way through until about the US Open. And we were just like she's so talented she's so good but we've seen many players that are talented and excellent but they can't quite get there so when she falls to the ground i mean i guess that this, there was an outpouring emotion of emotion i mean you said that yourself that you couldn't help but pull for her and i yeah. don't know i was delighted delighted for her and delighted for tennis
1: yeah as i said i'm in mean, uh laura robson casey de Laqua, barbara shett all former you know really good players in their own right um we were sitting there watching this match and we were all very nervous for her we all looked at each other and we said do you think she can serve it out and we're all like i think so no <laughs> but we all felt for her at that moment but also when you're out there it's very different to watching you know when you're out there you're fully focused you're fully if you want to win
0: um is, same it, easier? In the present. is it easier to be on the court then the watch
1: well, yeah, it's easier to watch, uh, to play just because you're in control of what's happening. So if you feel really good about yourself, you know that you're probably going to close it out. But, you know, when you're sitting and watching, you have no idea what's going on in your player's mind. You have no control over anything except just sitting there. So it is it is much harder watching. But when you're out there, too, um, you know, it's clearly not easy to control yourself, control your emotions. And for somebody who is very, very emotional in Sabalenka, I thought that she handled you know that last game really well because it was not easy and even as i said the match point she won was probably the the it was probably the best that ribakina had played you know the 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 point i mean she couldn't have hit that return back any better mm-hmm. off of off of one of the best serves because sabalenka had not served well on her match point she had double folded mm-hmm. as you said and i think she missed the first serve every single time and this time she hits a perfect serve down the t to the weaker shot of ribakina and ribakina smashed it back within a foot of the baseline so it's like you know, that last point was indicative of the match in a lot of respects, because it was just the best against the best. And then, you know, if anything, Rabaki in his forehand is probably the weakest shot on the court missed on match point. So it's kind of perfect the way I guess went down and that Sabalenka was able to win. But yeah, when she fell to the ground, you could just see her and start absolutely bawling. And I, I as a player know that feeling like you just finally can let it all out. You can finally let all your emotions out. And that's Mm. why you see players cry when they win or, you know, like Coco did when she won the US Open. It's like, you can finally be yourself. You can finally let go of all the walls that are up and protecting you on the tennis court to not think about the possibility of losing. And that's why you always hear the great say, you know, stay in the moment, stay in the moment. Well, that's the finally the first time where you don't have to stay in the moment. The moment is you're allowed to be really happy. And so um, that, that moment to me watching her fall to the ground and just go into absolute tears was you know really great to see.
0: One more about both players. And that is that, um, you know, I I remember speaking to Caitlin Thompson a couple of days after the final and and both of us were sort of quite confident in arena with the shackles off in terms of uh, her, you know, the, the, the pressure of having to win a slam obviously was on her back, but now that was gone. But sometimes we see it with players, perhaps with Dominic team, one or two others, where where they get over that line and then they relax. But we neither of us could quite envisage that with Arena, that we probably now get the best version of her. And I know she's not won another slam since, but I think she had a remarkable year and probably only slightly eclipsed by Igor at the end. Um, yeah. And and then with, with Elena as well, obviously both of them have won Grand Slam. Elena had a few injury travails. She, she'd she win a, a clay 1,000, of course, in Rome. And I think you touched on it as well, winning in uh, Indian Wells against Arena. Um, both of these players, they're going to be multiple Slam winners, aren't they?
1: Um, yeah. They're going to um, win one more each. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would suspect so. But, you know, look, we, we never know what happens with injuries. You don't know what happens with someone's, you know, emotional state it's not easy winning a grand slam is not easy it's winning seven matches in a row against the best players in the world so um you know clearly i think the only lock uh when it comes to winning a grand slam again is probably eager winning the french open so you know don't know i i I suspect that they will win another grand slam they're both very young they're both in their mid-20s um so that's you know the the possibility of them winning the australian open um you know coming up in january is very good it's always good to go back to a place that you have success, and I think Sabalenka will probably go in and maybe slight favourite or, you know, equal favourite with Iga, even though Ega's absolute, Ega's my favourite to win the tournament. But she's also never made yeah. the finals of the Australian Open. The court can play quite quick. It'll depend on the, you know, the speed of the court. Um, but you know, a, a, a Sabalenka or a Rabakian at their very best always gives trouble to Iga because of the fast court and the, the ball striking. But I think Iga also learned a tremendous amount about herself this year. Um, too with the disappointments and up and down and um, I think she's probably going to be the player to beat um, in 2024 again um, but having said that look I wouldn't be I absolutely not would not be surprised to see Sabalenka and Rubakina being in a final again in Australia.
0: Renee, uh, big thanks um, and uh, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe and all that jazz check out uh, Renee both on social media but also on her podcast uh, the name of your podcast Renee.
1: It's really easy, the Renee Stubbs Tennis Podcast.
0: (laughs) There we go, wonderful. Uh, Thanks, Renee.